Father, we come this morning, we're thankful for the amazing love that we've seen demonstrated to us today in the sacrifice of the cross. And we come and we, we say amazing, amazing love. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, Messiah, ransom for sinners. Thank you, Lord. We're grateful for all you do for us. And Lord, too, we were aware that you taught us to pray. And I, I, I just love us to, to join together in saying the prayer that our Saviour taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory for ever and ever. Amen. It's an amazing prayer, isn't it? And uh, deliberately chose to do that because of some of the things I want to share with you in the Word today. But I want you to appreciate that that prayer obviously was important to Jesus. It comes in two places, once in Matthew 6 and also in Luke uh, 10 or 11, 11 is. And um, in that, uh, he's doing this teaching on prayer to the people and he's saying, do you know what? When you pray... This is what matters. This is what's important. And he encapsulates in that prayer we've just prayed all the things that are are really special to Father's heart. If you think about everything that's in that prayer, they're the things that the Father wants to come in line with. So if you're saying, Jesus, what can we pray that God will, will really bless us with? What can we align with in the Father's will in our praying? And he gives us the prayer that he taught us, the Lord's Prayer. And isn't it strange how, uh, for most of us here, certainly, I mean, I deliberately chose the one with the these and the vows and the trespasses and all of that, because that's the one we know. We learnt it. Now, some of you may not have learnt it, um, and forgive me for that, but I knew that the majority might, so at a critical mass, it's beneficial to us. So that's, um, we'll return to again in a little while. I want us to, um, though, turn to a passage in the Bible, We're looking at another parable today in Matthew chapter 18. And if we go to uh, verse 21. And it says there, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked... Oh, hang on a minute. It says, then... Then Peter. Now, there's always the problem with, with Bible verses that start then. There must have been something that was before the then, mustn't there? And there's possibly a danger that we ignore the then. So, and I, we ha- I haven't got time to explore the first part of Matthew 18 with you because we're looking at a parable that's in- encapsulated at the end of Matthew 18. But it's important that at least you have some sense of, of, of what went before so that when I start talking about the then, you understand what the then was before the then. <laughs> there's this wonderful scene, um, I'm just think, imagining Matthew or Daniel running across the room, an angel, uh, Adam grabbing a 
him and tickling him. You know how we do. We suddenly grab one of the kids and we tickle them. I just imagine Jesus doing that with a kid in this, in this passage. He's, with, he's talking to his friends and there's kids around. And he grabs a kid. And, and, and he sticks in front of everybody and says, Come on, guys. I want you to be like this. I want you to be, have this humility, have this amazing innocence and, and freedom that comes from being like a child. And then he goes on and he develops that and he talks about how it's important to um, lose all the sin in our lives. And, and he helps us with a, a wonderful story about a wandering sheep and how that um, this wandering sheep goes off and, and Jesus talks about how the father or the shepherd goes and rescues him. Talking about the amazing love, which we were talking about a minute ago, that guest list that Sue prayed about, that amazing love that God has that includes us all. When we wander off, when we're in, you know, make a muck up, God comes to find us and comes to rescue us. So that, that's then, and then the last little bit was that um, he, Jesus helps us with some very practical advice towards the end of Matthew 18, where he's talking about how you should deal with somebody who sins against us. And he gives us advice and, and, and stuff in there. And that's, it's all very useful, really helpful stuff. And actually, it's really good. I mean, if, if you want to get underneath the story a bit more, have a look at this in small groups, perhaps. You know, it might be a place to go to uh, in study. Um, but then we get Peter. A wonderful, wonderful Peter. And uh, I do find it amazing, because we have to remember that Peter includes all of his gaffes in the Gospel, doesn't he? He's, he's the one who helped these guys. The Synoptics uh, Gospels, the, the Matthew, Mark and Luke, were generally thought to have been very supported by direct testimony from a number of people, and particularly Peter. And it comes out because we get all the personal detail about Peter, don't we? It's all very personal. And who, who gave them this detail? Well, it must have been Peter himself. So he doesn't mind the fact that all of his gaffes are in here as well. And I have to say, this is, this is one of Pete's great ones. Because what's happened is, is he's come through this, listening to Jesus talk about sin. And how God loves us. And how God forgives us. And how wonderful God is. And Pete thinks, oh, I know how I can impress Jesus. I can impress Jesus. Now, forgive me, I've got a, a way of doing this. Okay. Jesus wa- uh, Peter wants to impress Jesus. So he says, Lord, how many times... Let's go to the passage. It says it here. It says, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? How many times should I do it? And then he says, seven times? And he thinks he's being really, really, you know, seven times. I've been really good. Now, the, the reason why Pete thought he was being so good was because rabbinic law, Jewish law, said that you only had to forgive someone three times. So Pete thinks, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll demonstrate how much more I've learnt of Jesus and his wonderful grace and compassion by doubling it. And not only doubling it, 
I'll add one more too. We've got Jesus' reaction to Pete, haven't we? Don't know if this is going to work. We'll see how we go. Pete uh, sits standing there and all the others are going. You, you, they've got used to Pete by now. And, and they, you can imagine them. Oh my word. And, you know, it's our good friend Motormouth who's putting his big left foot in his mouth again. And Jesus, with a smile on his face, turns to Pete and he says, No, not seven times. Seven times seventy or seventy-seven times. Poor old Pete. Poor old Pete. Gets his bubble burst. Gets his pride pricked. All of those things. And I I think it's important that we realise the background. If we didn't know that stuff, we wouldn't understand what was going on. And you know full well that those guys around would have been thinking, oh, thank heavens I wasn't the one who said that. And, And Pete... You can imagine. You know, he wore his emotions on his sleeve. I look around this room and I know there are some of the guys, guys here. I'm one of them who wears my emotions on my sleeve. You know? And there are some of you too. Lovely Annie. You know, when you pray, your tears are so close to the surface. And it's lovely. And mine too. And Keith. You know, it, we wear our hearts close to the surface. Pete was like that. Devoted follower of Jesus. No could ever, nobody could ever take that away from him. But you can imagine Jesus turning to him and, and saying, No, no, Pete, don't worry, don't worry. Let me tell you a story about a king. And he uh, grabs him and sits him down and he says, Let me tell you about a king. So let's have a look at this story about a king. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. We all know kings, don't we? We're all familiar with kings. The king was in his counting house, counting out his money. King Charles I had his head chopped off. Henry VIII, who always wise. We know kings. They did too. They had Herod. Herod the king, who was a, a baddie, a baddie king, who wasn't a great, but he wielded authority. So they knew about kings and authority. It was a very familiar scenario. The king who had accounts to settle. So there he is in his counting house, counting out his money. And suddenly somebody says to him, Look, there's a man here. And it says, verse 24, As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. The problem is we don't know what 10,000 talents is. We get the impression it might be quite a lot. But forgive me, I'm just going to do a bit of maths, I'll be quick, honest, but it's important that we do get scale here. Now I'm going to give certain people different bits of this equation. Good mathematicians, our wonderful treasurer, Brian. All right. Um, the Jewish people had a coin called a minor. It's mentioned in Luke 19 in a parable that Jesus said, um, a minor was worth one minor was worth three months' wages. Okay? One minor. Three months' wages. Okay? One talent was worth 60 minors. Now, I think that's 180 months. Is that right, Brian? 180 months' salary. That's 15 years, I think. 15 years' salary... One talent, 15 years' salary. Okay? But the problem was, it wasn't 
15. One talent was it? How many talents was it? 10,000 10, talents. How many years is that? A hundred and fifty thousand years. A hundred and fifty thousand years. Okay. Now, I, I, my, I don't know my mind work like this. So forgive me. I'm going to do one more bit, and then we'll we'll move on with the story because I want you to get some scale. One hundred and fifty thousand years. Let's take minimum wage six pound nineteen. Okay. I, I just worked out. I'm not going to do the maths with you now. Just trust me when I say it's about one point eight billion pounds. 1.8 billion pounds. Now, for, in Jesus' time, the significance of the talent, the 10,000 talents, wouldn't have been lost on the rest of them. They would have gone... They would have got 10,000 talents. It's, a, it's just it's a, a, a figure beyond the beyond, isn't it? It's just completely ridiculous. It's the Greek national debt, whatever it is. It's just huge. And this man owes the king that much. Now, you have to remember something. He's not gone to Wonga.com. He's not, you know, gone to a, a, a end of, But he is the one. Don't forget, this guy, this servant, is the one who got himself into that debt. He's responsible. Never forget in the story, he was responsible. He chose to go that way. And so, what does he, he says? And he, the king says... Good grief. <laughs> you can imagine it, can't you? Opening the account. I don't know whether he looked at the books recently, but he opens the books up and he looks at that stuff and he says, oh. Right, well, we, 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 we've got to sell this guy's house. We've got to sell his wife. We've got to sell his kids. What does he say here? In the, in, yeah. Uh, since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. What did the servant do? He fell on his knees. And this is almost the most ridiculous bit. This guy who owes 1.8 billion pounds, or a ridiculous amount, whatever it was, to this king says, Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay everything back. In 150,000 years. <laughs> he says, I'll pay it back, all of it. There's no way, is there? No way that can have been done. So what does the, um, the master do, the king do? He says, he took pity on him. He took pity on him and cancelled the debt and let him go. Cancelled the debt. Something we might forget, and maybe if you've read this story before, you might, it might be familiar with it, but just consider this for a minute. Cancelling the debt. The guy had still had the money. He'd still got the loan. He'd still had the debt. That money had gone. Who now had to carry the debt? The king. That's right. The debt was now on the king's shoulders. He was now carrying an unimaginable extra debt. But he chose, out of his compassion, to forgive this guy. And the man that, who um, was about to lose everything, 
suddenly he had it all. He was free. This person who, who, who was in fear of having lost everything suddenly have his life back. In 1964, I want to tell you a little story, forgive me. Some of you know this story, again, forgive me. In 1964, my mum and dad moved from Skegness in Lincolnshire down to Guildford in Surrey. He was a journalist and he'd got a promotion. He was now doing quite well as a journalist. He worked for the Surrey Advertiser. Obviously not the Times, but he was doing okay. And as a result of this, they moved out of rented accommodation and and they bought a house. It cost them a grand sum of £3,000. If you want to extrapolate that forward, that's about, I checked the other day on Right Move, house in Guildford, same area, same price, 300000 Okay? So they took out a mortgage. This mortgage was probably, I don't know, 75%, something like that, of that debt. Now, Dad made a decision. About six months in, he realised that he didn't have enough money to make ends meet. So he made a choice. And his choice was to cancel his life insurance policy. Alright? He was 33, his wife was 27, they had four kids, he was fit, healthy, well, doing okay, everything would be fine. He said to Mum, don't worry, a couple of years' time we'll already set up another one. In February of 1965, as a result of my dad spending the following eight or nine months building up relationships and networking as journalists do, where do they network? In pubs and, you know, pints going back, weight put on, smoking. My dad at 27, 28, and my dad at 33 were two different people. He was a lot bigger. And a couple of um, days before my seventh birthday, in the middle of the night, he had a heart attack and died, leaving my mum with four kids. Of course, the tragedy of that scarred us all. But in my mum's mind, of course, it wasn't just the fact that my dad had died. She knew that over their heads they had the shadow of the life insurance policy and the fact that the house would be repossessed because she couldn't pay the debt back. A couple of weeks later, sure enough, the prudential man knocked on the door. They used to do door-to-door in those days, didn't they? They used to be the man from the Prue, knocked on the door and had an envelope for my mum. My mum, I think, probably would have been tears. I don't know at the thought she knew what was going to be in this envelope. It was a cheque for the balance of the mortgage. We never knew, we never knew why. We never knew how. But somehow, somewhere, somebody made a decision. A young woman with four kids. Bad choice a couple of months ago to cancel insurance. They just paid it. Just freed us. And made every bit of difference to us. We were free from that huge responsibility. So, just amazing story, isn't it? Now, for, the, for this guy in the, in the story, in the parable as well, it's, a, it's, a, it's an incredible moment. But it, of course, the story doesn't end there. And, and Jesus' answer to Peter's question is in the next bit. What we have here is looking... 
chapter 18 some more. He says, But when that servant went out, skipping and leaping and joyful, not quite, is it? It says, but when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he said. You know, if you watch The Simpsons, it's definitely Homer doing this to Bart. You know, pay back what you owe me. And it's um, just, a, I'm not going to do all that maths again, just so that you know, a hundred denarii, is it a hundred denarii? Yes, um, is about five grand. It's, you can work it out on the basis that it was a Roman soldier's one, one day's pay. So it's about 5,000. Which means it isn't... See, the thing is, it isn't a small debt. It isn't uh, me going up to, to you know, a Hillary afterwards and saying, come here, go and have a coffee, and then getting there and saying, oh, would you mind paying for the coffee, and then forgetting to pay it back. It's not that at all, is it? It's a big deal of money. And one of the points in this story, which I think is really good to see, is that Jesus is saying, you know what, I do know that when people hurt you, it's not a small thing. Is it? It's not a small thing when somebody hurts you. And Jesus is saying, I know that. I know that when people hurt you, it's sacrificial. But what does, what does the guy do? patient with me, this poor servant says, and I will pay you back. I can't resist asking you to... Can you look at verse 26, please? And then look at verse 29. What can you tell me about them? They're almost identical words. There's only one bit of it which is slightly different at the end of the verse, where the guy... The first guy who owed the 10,000 talents, he says, to, he says to the king, I'll pay it all back. He has no sense of reality at all. At least this guy who owed the 5,000 5, has some reality. There's no commitment of when or how much or anything. He just says, I will pay you. I will pay you. He says, no, throw him in prison. I want to ask you a question. What about those guys standing around? I want, I want to know around this room, how many of us would identify with what they did? Would you, seeing that action, you've seen the king spare this guy 1.8 billion. He walks through the door, goes outside, grabs the nearest person who owes him a debt and says, pay me back. I can't do it. Right, in prison. What would your reaction have been? Would you have done what they did? I think probably we would. I would. I have to say I would. I'd have, I would have grasped him up. I'd have said, excuse me, Your Majesty, you know that guy who just let off 1.8 billion? Well, he's just gone out there and sent the guy to prison for five grand. They were greatly distressed and told the master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in and says, You wicked servant, I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Whoa, harsh stuff at the end there. 
sudden swinging in it comes of, wow, this is where I need my notes, because this is the bit I just want to make sure I get absolutely right. Because I, I wanted to share some... Well, I didn't want to get everything else right as well. Did you know, by the way, we've got a pumpkin seed still up here from the other week, and we're doing the sower and the seed. But the... I guarantee I forgot a whole lot of stuff. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, I'm right. I'm okay. Nearly done. The parable turns on this question. Peter's question was what? How many times should I forgive? And Jesus uses the king in the story to ask the servant, to ask Peter, and to ask us. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Doesn't it? That's the question. Isn't it actually interesting how Jesus often answers a question with a question? And that's what he does here. He says, Peter, Peter, you know your question. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as mercy has been shown to you? Jesus ends with a warning that should not confuse us into thinking that we can somehow lose our salvation, because you can get complicated and theological at this point. But that's not the point Jesus is making. We're in parable, and he's um, explaining it. He's concerned that we ensure that we understand and accept our forgiveness. It's our forgiveness that needs to be accepted in a way that then changes us. Yes? That's the important thing. If we don't allow our forgiveness to change us, which is what the, the guy didn't do, wasn't it? He didn't allow the forgiveness to change him. Jesus is calling you to forgive. Now, um, I'm, I'm going to end now, but I want to, to challenge you because I, I, as I was praying this, uh, in this last week or so about this verse, I felt God say... Um, that, Tim, I want you to forgive someone. And I want church to forgive. And I'm going to look right around this room now, and every single one of you, and say, I believe there may be people in your life that you need to forgive. You remember that prayer we prayed right back at the beginning? That I said encapsulated the Father's heart. It says, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are our debtors. That's the Matthew 6 version. And do you know what? The word in Greek is the same word that Jesus uses in this parable about the debts. It's the same thing. Forgive us our debts, O Lord. Lord, have mercy on me, I'll pay it back. No, you can't. You can't pay it back. There's no way you can. I forgive you. And because of that, because of that, forgive. Now, there might be people here who have a brother, or a sister, or a mum, or a dad, or an ex-husband, or an ex-wife, or somebody in their life, a friend, somebody in the church that they have been struggling to forgive. And the challenge to you this morning, in the word of God, is to say this. 
Should you not have mercy just as you have been shown it? How much have you been shown mercy? We looked at the bread and you were saw the love and mercy of God. Forgiven. 1 John chapter 2 says this, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody sins, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defence, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. We demonstrate our knowledge because of what we do. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walked. Lord, we come to you and ask for your help. Lord, some of these issues are just so, so difficult. Lord, for some of us, it's not 5,000. It's a big thing. It's a massive thing. It's just like a great weight, Lord. And I want to pray for every single one in this room, Lord, that we would find that compassion, that same compassion that Jesus spoke of, that we would forgive from our hearts. Thank you, Lord. Amen. The decision to forgive is only the first step. You then have to walk it. I'm not saying that everything comes easy straight away. You then have to walk forgiveness as well as decide forgiveness. Something I meant to say before, but I will say it now. Let's enjoy some fellowship together.